The written Word of God can only be the exclusive sole source of authority in your beliefs and practices, or it's no authority whatsoever. So you see the the polarity, you see the contrast that Jesus has plainly put forth. And the contrast is you have rejected, abandoned, left, forsaken, nullified the law of God, the commandments of God in order to cling to, hold to, establish, grip firmly, seize upon your own traditions. Now, Jesus is going to go on to give a case study or an example and we'll come back to, we'll read this or we'll come back to it. So verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition. So we'll come back to Jesus's case study, to his example, but we'll skip down to see, to see his conclusion His conclusion is, I give you this example of something that you're doing, and the example shows you that what you are doing is making void, nullifying, invalidating, neutering the Word of God. What you are are doing is rendering powerless, rendering ineffectual, causing to be without effect, defanging the Word of God. You know what that means to defang something. Think of like a tiger. It has his fangs and, and, and the tiger's fangs. What do the tiger's fangs do? They don't just make him look mean and nasty. They enable him to catch his food because he takes those fangs and puts them into his prey and those fangs hold his prey while he kills it. Now you take that tiger's fangs and you pull them out and that tiger will die because you have defanged him. You have taken from him his ability to continue existing. This word means that you have defanged the word of God. You have dehorned the word of God. I think back to when I was a kid and we would cut the horns off of my granddad's cattle. The horns that were their means of protection that would end up making them dangerous to be around. We would cut the horns off, thereby rendering them not dangerous or declawed. You've declawed the word. You you cat owners, you know, uh, first of all, you know you're crazy. But second of all, you know that if if you take a cat and you declaw the cat, then what can that cat not do? It can't live outside because it can't protect itself. You have declawed the word of God. You have neutered the word of God. You have voided, you have made ineffectual the Word of God. Galatians 3 and verse 17. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not, does not annul, avoid, make void, neuter, render powerless a covenant previously ratified by God. Now you have made void the Word of God. How? By your tradition. I don't think Jesus could have been any plainer in what he's saying. Jesus is not, again, leaving us the option of thinking, oh, these Pharisees and scribes were good-hearted. 
they had good intentions, they loved the law, they loved the word, and in their zeal to protect the word, they overdid it. Jesus is saying, each person can have one and only one authority. And your authority is either the Word of God completely and totally, or it's not at all. Jesus is saying that the Word of God will not, cannot, share any authority in your life. You cannot take the Word and say, well, the Word of God is my main authority, but I couple that together with this other authority. I couple that together with this other body of teaching or this other, I don't know, experiences of life that I've collected over my years. I I take the Word of God and I put it together with my experiences and that's my authority. God says, no. If that's the case, your authority is your experiences, not the Word. Because the Word of God must be the exclusive soul authority or it's no authority at all. Those aren't my words. That's plainly what Jesus is saying to us. You may have pretended to have this dual authority that regulates your beliefs and your religious practices, and you call this dual authority the commandments of God along with the tradition of the elders. But Jesus says, no, quite plainly, you have done away with completely the word, the commands of God, and you've replaced them with your own commands. Jesus says elsewhere in Matthew chapter 6, man cannot serve two masters. Because what will happen is you'll hate the one and love the other. Jesus said that in the context of of saying that man cannot serve God and money. But is it not true and is it not a valid application to say if Jesus said you can't serve God and money, then that reality also applies equally when he says you cannot have the authority of the word and the authority of anything else. Anything else will negate or void out the Word of God in your life, which really is true of authority anyway. You know, it's really, in a way of thinking, all of us really only have one authority anyway. You don't have multiple authorities. This idea that you have one supreme authority and you have other authorities in your life and you follow these other authorities unless they conflict with the supreme authority, in reality, you still only have one authority. Because if you say, well, I've got these other authorities in my life and I'll listen to them as long as they don't conflict to the main one, you may as well say, well, the main one is my authority. Because whatever conflicts with that one, that's what I don't listen to. Jesus is saying the same thing about the Word. The commands of God, the written Word of God, thus it is written, he says, the written Word of God can only be the exclusive sole source of authority in your beliefs and practices, or it's no authority whatsoever. So his indictment to them is that you have created this false reality, this false perception. You're hypocrites, he says. On the outside, you're putting on this veneer, this show on the outside, and the show on the outside is saying to other people, we love the Word of God, we love the commandments of God, But Jesus says on the inside, you're something totally different. You're something completely different. On the inside, 
You love and worship your tradition, your customs, these man-made regulations. Why? Because man-made regulations are something you're in control of. God's commandments are something completely different. So that's what your that's your real authority, says Jesus. So these traditions that they have put into place, again, the dichotomy is that they appear or they want to appear as though they love God's Word and have a high regard for God's Word. Yet the reality is they actually disdain God's Word and have a very low view of God's Word. So let's now put that on pause and then we'll go back. Well, actually, we won't put it on pause. Let's just, let's just go back to verse 10 and let's now look at Jesus' case study and see how Jesus' example even furthers His argument. So back up to verse 10. Here's His example. Well, verse 9, you have a fine way. You're really good. You're skilled at rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish or cling to or seize upon your tradition for, for Moses said, now when Jesus says Moses said, that also, that's a, that's a phrase that means God said. Because in Matthew's account of this, in Matthew 17, in Matthew's account of this, Matthew says, for God said. So when Jesus says, Moses said, he's not, he's not putting the opinion of Moses against the opinion of the, of the Pharisees. What he's saying, God said this, for God said, or Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, you see how Jesus, again, this is the contrast he always comes to. It is written, but you say. It is written, but you say. But you say, whatever you would have gained from me as Corban, that is, and here's his explanation to the Romans, that is given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God. So let's follow his example. There was this practice that the scribes, another one of their traditions, that they put into place this practice of Korban. Now this practice is the practice of, of declaring that one's possessions or one's wealth or one's profit one could take this vow and say, this is Korban, this is dedicated to God. And by so doing, it then necessitated that those possessions, that wealth, was then off limits for the temple to take, or for taxes to take, or for the parents to require. And so then, thus declaring it so, the person who then declared his wealth or his possessions to be Korban didn't necessarily then give it all to the temple. He then retained ownership of it, but then was prevented from using it for these other purposes. So his example is you've got this tradition called korban. And when something is declared, when someone's possessions are declared korban, Jesus says you then prevent him or not allow him to use those possessions to keep the commandment of God, which is honor your father and mother. Now, the way that I have understood that previously, I don't think is correct. What I've understood that previously is, is in this way, that Jesus is describing someone who wants to get out of the duty of honoring his father and mother. And so he declares his possessions to be korban and there, therefore says, well, I don't have to support your mom and dad because I've declared all my goods to be korban. I don't think that's Jesus' meaning. And the reason I don't think that's His meaning is because look at His words right here, verse 12. Then you no longer permit. 
What Jesus is drawing attention to, what Jesus' issue is in this theoretical situation, what his issue is, his issue is not the relationship between the son and the parents. His issue is the relationship between the Pharisees and the son. That's what he's calling, calling attention to. He's saying the problem is not that there's this person who doesn't want to honor his father and mother. He's saying that the problem is that there is an improper relationship between the Pharisees and the Son in such a way that the Pharisees and the scribes have taken this tradition and this tradition is being used to prevent the Son from honoring the parents. So I see it this way. I see that Jesus in His mind has this occasion, this situation in which there's a Son. And the Son is a man of means. He's been successful. And His parents are successful. And they're well off and they're comfortable. And the son has reached adulthood. He's got a family of his own and his parents are doing fine. They're comfortable too. And so the son declares, you know, my, my parents in their old age, they'll be taken care of. They, they won't need me. I will declare Korban. I will declare my possessions are for the Lord. Well, then things take a turn. Maybe the parents have an unexpected illness. Maybe there's some sort of disaster with the crops or with the property. And somehow the parents who thought that they were secure financially find themselves in a bad way. And then the son now says, well, things have changed. Now I want to use my resources to care for my parents, to honor my parents. The Pharisees then come along and say, uh-uh, there's this Korban thing. You took the vow of Korban. You cannot do that. I think that fits perfectly with what Jesus is saying. You do not permit him to honor his father and mother because you've taken this tradition of yours and used that tradition to, in Jesus' words, make void the Word of God. You see how it fits perfectly what Jesus is saying. His illustration is an illustration in which you claim to honor the Word of God, but your traditions have actually done the polar opposite, and they have negated or nullified or voided out completely the commandment, honor your father and your mother. And so Jesus' point is well made. Here's an example, Jesus says, of just how your traditions aren't a uh, accomplice authority along with the Word. Your traditions aren't a complementary authority. Your traditions have ousted the authority of the Word entirely altogether. That's Jesus' point. And he makes his point well with his illustration. So now, seeing that and seeing how Jesus is very pointedly pointing a finger at hypocrites who pretend to have a high view of the Scriptures, yet in fact disdain the Scriptures by way of their traditions, what does this mean for us? Because we don't practice the ritualistic washing. I don't think anybody... You might have washed your hands this morning, but I don't think anybody ceremonially washed your hands. What does this sort of thing mean for us? Well, I think that the most obvious, the plain-as-day application for our modern world, it's hard to miss this one, is obviously the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church is the exact, exact copy of the scribes and the Pharisees in this scenario. 
Because the Roman Catholic Church, just like the scribes and Pharisees, claims to be the protector of Scripture. Claims to be the one true and only valid manifestation of the Church of Christ on earth. Yet, the Roman Catholic Church has the most comprehensive and complicated system of man-made laws that do exactly what Jesus describes in this passage. Let me read to us a statement that's taken from, well, first of all, let me read a statement from something called the Talmud. We all probably are familiar with the Talmud. The Talmud, uh, well, first came the Mishnah. So in Jesus' day, all these traditions of the scribes and Pharisees were verbal. But then maybe about uh, by the second century, all these all these commands, these verbal commands of the scribes and Pharisees, they had begun to be written down in something called the Mishnah. Well, then the Mishnah eventually was compiled with some other documents into a document called the Talmud. The Talmud was a, a collection of the Mishnah and another document called the Gomera. So listen to what the Talmud says about itself. It says this, Sacred scriptures are like water. The Mishnah is like wine. The Gemara is like Aramaic wine. You hear that? You hear that clear hierarchy? There's the scripture. There's the Gemara, which are more sayings. But then there is, or there's the Mishnah, then there's the Gemara. So they have created the system in which the Word of God, in their own view, now takes the backseat. Now, having that in mind, let's now compare this to what we see in our day, specifically in the Roman Catholic Church. Let me read just this statement written by a man by the name of John Hardin. John Hardin was a Jesuit priest, and he wrote in, a, in some other writings this following statement, which has been given the status of nihil abstat. Now, nihil abstat is a phrase, you know, the Catholic Church loves Latin phrases. They call everything by Latin phrases because it makes them sound smarter and holier than you. But this phrase, nihil abstat, basically means that the church, the Catholic Church, has officially sanctioned the following statement to be a right and true reflection of official Catholic doctrine. So listen to what this statement says. Sacred tradition is the unwritten Word of God that the apostles and prophets received through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and under His guidance, the church has handed on to the Christian world. Both sacred scripture and sacred tradition are the inspired Word of God and both are forms of divine revelation. Sacred scripture is divinely inspired, whereas sacred tradition is the unwritten word of God. Do you hear what they've done? They have unashamedly done exactly what the scribes and Pharisees have done. Exactly, to the letter, without reservation, without any shame. They have declared there are two authorities. There's the authority of scripture and there's the authority of the sayings of the church. And so one who would subscribe to the Roman Catholic doctrine 
would say that when we want to decide what's right and what's wrong, what we should rightly believe and what we shouldn't believe, what we should rightly do and what we should refrain from doing, there are two sources of right and wrong that we go to. One is the Scriptures. Another is the sayings of the church, the traditions of the church. That is precisely what Jesus is condemning that the scribes and Pharisees have done is precisely what Jesus is condemning here and this. They profess to believe in the Scriptures. They profess to be the guardians of Scripture. They profess to believe in the sacred authority of Scripture. Yet at the same time, they have instituted a companion authority. And by Jesus' own words, the existence of a companion authority negates the authority of the Scriptures altogether. In such a way that it is plain as day for anyone with half of a brain and even a little bit of impartiality, it's plain as day for anyone to observe the Roman Catholic Church and observe a group of people who blatantly do what the Scriptures have specifically said not to do. The second commandment says to us very plainly, you shall have no graven images before me in your religious worship. You are not to bow down to any image And we all know that's exactly what happens at every Roman Catholic gathering. The bowing down to images. The uh, Word of God says that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And the Roman Catholic Church regularly affirms that sinners need the help of Mary and other saints. The Scriptures say to us that there is only one, we are only to pray to God and to God alone. And the most, the most uh, common, the most popular, well-known Roman Catholic prayer is the rosary, which is a prayer to Mary. In fact, you'll see the bumper stickers around. You will probably see that bumper sticker this week if you look for it, pray the rosary. What pray the rosary means, in other words, is blaspheme God. What pray the rosary means is reject the authority of Scripture outright because there's no such thing as Scripture sharing authority with anything else. Yet the Roman Catholic Church, and there's so many other... We could be here for the next 20 minutes just talking about all the ways that anyone with an impartial view can look to the Roman Catholic Church and see a church that blatantly does what the Scriptures have said not to do. The reason is they have tried to assert that there is a dual authority, and you can't do that. Once you claim a dual authority... You have jettisoned the authority of the Scriptures, which which will then cause you to go down the same path as the scribes and the Pharisees, which is to, as Jesus says in His words, completely reject the authority of Scripture. 